Welcome to Reviving Virtue, a podcast where we face the urgent challenges of today's world by exploring the crucial role of uncovering, together, a coherent moral narrative for our time. I'm your host, Jeffrey Anthony, on a quest to tackle liberalism's quandary and pave the way towards a more unified society. Join me on this journey as we delve into ethics, philosophy, and community building, seeking to create a common understanding that fosters human flourishing and harmony. Welcome to Reviving Virtue. Hello, welcome to this introductory podcast into Reviving Virtue. I wanted to create this short episode to explain a little bit of what I'm doing here, what I hope to achieve, what brought me to wanting to create a podcast. There's a lot that I want to share over the course of this podcast. I envision this podcast being several years uh, in order to complete some of the ideas that I'm thinking of. I was trying to, and I'm still trying to, organize some of my thoughts into a book, but I thought, what better way to really work through these thoughts and ideas that I have than by creating a podcast so I can talk through them and I can share them with an audience. And what I hope is to get some feedback from an audience. I am hoping that to eventually bring on guests so we can do some interviews, maybe even doing some remote out in the world interviews with people about their feelings on morals, ethics, and virtues. Now, my path to becoming interested in this topic is a very long one, but I think it should be noted that currently today in our world, when we think of morals and ethics and virtues, it usually seems to be associated with conservatives. With this new movement that appears to be coming out of Florida, centered around the classic learning test that's trying to replace the college board's SAT tests, there's an individual named Jeremy Wayne Tate. I just discovered him yesterday while listening to a New York Times podcast about some of the changes that Governor Ron DeSantis wants to make to how they teach high school kids and train them to get into college. Now, what's interesting is that this individual, Jeremy Wayne Tate, was converted. I've learned, you know, I've learned this through the podcast. He converted to becoming a Christian in the last decade or so, and he believes that the Aristotle virtues is something that we should be aware, not only aware of, but we should study and try to reinstitute back into our society. And listening to the podcast, he was trying to make it very clear that this should not be a right-left paradigm. It should be something that we all want to recover, uh, this idea of virtues and morals. And I was listening to him, but he had a very particular way that he wants to reinstitute this, this, this understanding. And it's from a conservative frame point, which is we should bring back the way virtues were 2,400 years ago, you know, over 2,000 years ago. And that is the exact opposite of what I wanted to do in this podcast, because I believe that we can learn. And in fact, we must learn and study from what humans have done through history. But what we need to do is to, to have that inform how we should create something new today. And not necessarily create something new, but how to engage with each other today. Taking something from 2,400 years ago and placing it in 2023 is incoherent, in my opinion. And it, it's also against the very nature of what makes humans, as far as we understand, unique on the planet, which is our ability to be creative, and to be reflexive and how we can look at what we're doing 
and do things based off of these intentions that we have inside us and act creatively and in community with each other. I, as I'm saying this, this is my introductory podcast, nothing scripted. I didn't write any of this, anything out. But when I'm saying this out loud to myself right now, I can tell that I'm not articulating it in a very coherent fashion. Well, I'm not articulating it in a way that's, I believe, at a level that I need to get to. This is why I'm doing this podcast as well. I really want to find the words, the phrasing, the terminology that I can, that I can use to really express what I believe is, is really critical for the future of our society so but what's interesting while listening to this New York Times interview, and let me tell you the name of it, it was called Why Conservatives Can't Stop Talking About Aristotle, and then the podcast is called First Person, and it was released on May 4th, 2023. Now, what's ironic about this, for me at least, is that what spurred me to, to step away from the book and create this podcast is I read a book that I just completed about two weeks ago called After Virtue by Alastair McIntyre. This book was written in 1981, and he believes that our current moral vocabulary is incoherent, there's that word again, because we're using bits and pieces of, of centuries-old, millennia-old moral narratives and virtues, which don't comport to our, our current late modern understanding of the self and our relation to the self and to the world and to the universe that there was a massive transformation which started around the 12th century and 13th century and in our relationship to each other and to a higher being, you could say. Now, these are all the things I will get into as we move through the podcast, but the book resonated with me like pretty strongly. But what I found is that I thought he failed at the end, that he did not provide a way for, for us today in 2023 to articulate these new moral narratives or to reintegrate these old moral narratives into our late modern life. And what's interesting is as I did some research on on McIntyre is that he's associated more with the conservative side. Conservatives like him. Now, I liked him because I thought the way he wrote was incredibly informative. He's a great writer. And then he really he he wove a narrative that was very that opened a bunch of different ways of me understanding how things act or how things are today. He also was able to put together some pieces that I have been confused about over the years. And then, you know, his goal is to re is to bring back the Aristotle virtues. Now, this is this guy, Jeremy Wayne Tate, and his classic learning test. This is what he wants to do, too. And he believes that you, it doesn't matter if you're left or right. But these virtues worked for people at one time, and why can't they work again? And naturally, if he had read this book, I'm pretty sure he hasn't, because if he had read McIntyre's book, he would know that you can't just make it work because our conception of the self and community is completely removed from any sort of it would be complete it would not make any sense to Aristotle in his time or anyone alive at that time. The way we view ourselves and the way we interact with each other has transformed in such a degree, it would be like saying to someone or asking someone, what's your favorite color? And they said, football. There's just no connection there. So while listening to this interview, the the interviewer, I actually thought she did not do a good job. She was uh, coming across as hostile and, and and she had good points, to be honest with you. But I felt like 
she could have made the interview better if she had understood some of these nuances better. And she was going for, she really wanted to hammer home the fact that all these people that he wants to bring back, these classic writers, are all white dudes. And I agree, they're all, they're white dudes. And they're, but it's more than that, actually. <laughs> they're white dudes living in a time in which if you were to plant them here today, they would have no idea how to engage in a single conversation with us. We would have nothing to talk about because their conceptions of reality have nothing in relation to how we move and understand the world. And to me, that's, that's actually the interesting part. The white males through history, that's all we read. I'm not saying that's not a big deal. In fact, I want to, that's what, part of this project is that we need to create new narratives because those narratives don't exist. And so we need to create new ones. But understanding why those narratives don't exist outside of the simple fact that it was a male-dominated society and Western culture essentially erased millennia of, of history across the globe, there's that. But to me, I'm just going to say, it, I don't find that to be the important thing we should be working on, what we need to be working on. And not, we, we shouldn't be arguing over that. Like, to me, that's settled. We get, yes, right? And it's, 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 a, it's an embarrassment, to be, to be honest with you. But that's not going to get us to where we need to go. Where we need to go is to be able to create these new narratives. And I keep saying this over and over again, because I want to help be a part of this project. I don't have the skills yet to articulate it, as you can tell as you're listening to this podcast right now, nor write it in a way that I believe can connect with people across different lived experiences. So this is to say, if you are coming here thinking I might be a conservative, you're wrong. <laughs> also, you know, I'm definitely on the liberal end, and that's, I'm just putting this all up front. You know, I was a former atheist. Uh, I was one of those hardcore atheists in the early 2000s when things went kind of hardcore. And then I was, you know, raised, I come from a Catholic family, but I was not raised in the church. So I'm in my 40s now, but... In my prior life, I'm, I'm now calling it, I went to uh, jazz school and got a degree in jazz drumming. Quickly after graduating in 1999, I was already touring the country and then it became touring the world. I wound up recording on several hundred records. This aspect of me is very important and I'm bringing this up now because it informs how I believe we need to reintegrate the importance of creativity and not only creativity, but the experiencing of other cultures and other lived experiences. It's a humbling experience, and it's an inspiring experience. And I feel that in our culture today, creativity is seen as something that is looked down upon. You know, you have the entrepreneur that's, you know, raised up as the, the pinnacle of American greatness, right? The entrepreneur. But what is the entrepreneur supposed to do today, right? They're supposed to create something that fits a problem that needs to be fixed. And then they're put into this cycle of uh, you get a VC funding and then, you know, you got to have your, your, your exit mapped out from five years so that your early venture capital can get, can get returned. And so everything's cycled and funneled into this very narrow conception of entrepreneurship, right? That's, to me, not creative at all. Uh, it's the exact opposite of creativity. And I believe this is, that, uh, this is one aspect 
that we have lost in our culture. What is creativity? What's special and powerful about it? And why have we, in a way, destroyed this incredibly unique and beautiful human virtue? So I am telling you all this because this is my background as a musician and an artist, informs how I read and how I interpret the world. Having been all over the world and meeting people all over the world, it informs who I am. It has humbled me and it inspires me and it shows me how incredibly rich and, and magical this world is. This is all to say that my podcast, Reviving Virtue, is here for me to try to understand what these ideas of morals, of virtues, and ethics, why they're so incoherent, jumbled, how and why we got to this place. Some of the books that I have been reading that got me here was a book about uh, two years ago. I read a book by a German sociologist named Hartmut Rosa, and the book was called Resonance. In fact, let me look at this. Let me get the the full title. It's Resonance, A Sociology of Our Relationship to the World. Now, this is a very thick, big book, about six, 550 pages. It was in here that he talks about this, how humans in late modernity are losing resonance. Like we're losing our ability to relate to each other and to the world and to ourselves. It's a really remarkable book. And in this book, he cited, it's incredible... (laughs) The citations are incredible. And I took massive notes and I then bought a bunch of those books that he cited. And another one of the books that he mentioned a lot is, where did I do with it? It is right here. So it is, see I'm doing this live unscripted. It's called Sources of the Self, The Making of the Modern Identity by Charles Taylor. I found out only recently that uh, Hartman Rosa did his PhD under Charles Taylor. But what's interesting with the, this book, Sources of the Self, it, it, just, it just tore me down. It was an incredible book, absolutely remarkable book. It, I think it may be one of the most important books written in the last hundred years. I, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps when I'm thinking about how this just kind of tore apart my conception of the reality we live in, my conception of how we got here. It's all just like Taylor just tore it to shreds, and he did it in a beautiful, impressive way. I mean, this is an incredible piece of work. And this book made me realize that I have been completely misinterpreting everything that I thought I knew (laughs) and every experience I have. It completely shattered my, my background, you know, that I put everything up against. It's just gone. And... To do a slight back before this, just go a little bit before these books, is if you're watching this video, because I've decided that I'm going to put these videos up on YouTube as well. I'm, I'm, I'm making the podcast, but, you know, when you go and Google what's the best way to do all this stuff, or now that I asked ChatGPT how I should go about best doing this, they say I should do, should post everywhere, which includes video. So I'm recording this as well as doing the audio. So if you're watching this on video, you'll see behind me a couple sound panels, because the room I'm in in Tucson, Arizona, I had turned this into a professional recording studio and I did remote drumming and I was recording for clients all over the world. It was, and it was, I was pretty successful at it and it was fantastic and it was going great. And then COVID hit and daycare closed for my son and I was unable (laughs) to record music here when there was a three-year-old in my house. 
and especially because I'd have no door on the back of my studio, which sounds crazy, but it actually was did amazing for bass. You didn't, I didn't have the bass pooling effect. If anyone listening to this is a music nerd, they would know about that. So to make a very long story short, I sold my studio to finance going back to school and getting a degree, a master's in public administration, public policy. And why did I choose that? Well, for one, I was in Arizona and the University of Arizona is right here. Two, the public policy, public management program is at night because I, I had a day job at that time. And, and three, public policy, economics, how we set up our, our government, our way of uh, the laws and the Constitution, all those things is something that's very important to me, especially the economic side. So I thought, well, here's my opportunity to do it and go in in, in a graduate level and really get into it. So I did that. And, you know, and if anyone who's gone and gotten a graduate degree in public policy and public management, you know what you read and what you learn and you learn all the you learn all the, the theories and then you learn all the models if you do the economic stuff. And, you know, I learned how to do R programming in R building regressions and learning about different economic models, econometric models. Now, I was not an expert in those, but I know how they work, and I could set up basic ones in, in R. And and I wound up getting a job at the city of Tucson, and I worked in the ec- Office of Economic Development, and I was in the city's manager's office, so right in the heart of the city. I learned and saw firsthand how things are going and how they're working, or I should say not working. And as a liberal, I'm very pro-government, but not in a oppressive way, which may, uh, but I, I believe in the power of the government to do good is what I should say. So when I actually got in there and saw how things were running again, not again, but I just want to point out that this is only one experience I had at one in one office. So I don't want to make a grand generalization here, but I found that I was unable to see how I could apply any of these skills and talents that I had learned and also use any of the creativity in in my job. Because as soon as I tried to bring in anything that was not part of the predetermined business as usual, it was completely just crushed until it was just killed. And I saw, hmm, okay, so this is why we can't get anything done. <laughs> and when I say not anything done, things get done, right? You know, your garbage gets picked up and, you know, basic services happen. And But... Well, I'm talking about the big things, you know, like, why do we have poverty? Why is our homelessness getting worse? Why is violence so bad? Why, you know, why are people pulling guns on each other at a stoplight? You know, things like that, the big stuff, that's not getting handled. And it never will. From what I saw, it's it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter what your models say. It doesn't matter what this theory says. And what I thought about it after I left is that, we can't talk to each other about these bigger things because they talk, they get these bigger things really get into who we are, our conceptions of the self and our conceptions of the community and our conceptions of the good life, the virtues, morals and ethics. And as I started reading these books, I started realizing, you know, I don't we you know what here here's what I'm going here's how I want to phrase this. You remember it was only a year and a half ago Biden passed the extended child tax credit. Right after they passed the extended child tax credit and everyone was getting the 300 to 350 per child, 
childhood poverty was essentially solved. It dropped by the most in the history of this country. The only reason it didn't go to zero is because of the distributional uh, roadblocks that are met, mostly through the commercial banking system, which excludes 12 million Americans from the banking system. You know, we couldn't get those people checks. But all the people who were in the banking system, but were living on the margins and had children going to bed hungry in the richest country on the planet, we solved that problem. We, we figured it out. You know, and you think about when you're a kid and, and like we, we like to put kids up on, on a pedestal and they say, I want to solve world hunger. But, well, we solved it because we know how to do it, right? We have the tools and the techniques to do it. And we could have gotten world, our, our child poverty rate to zero if we were able to fix the distributional problems. But we didn't even get to that point because here's what happened. We, we lost the moral narrative in this. All of a sudden, it was like, well, what are we doing here? It, 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 we couldn't. There's something big happened there. So we solved the child, childhood problem. Excuse me. We solved childhood poverty problem in the United States. But we decided that we were just going to go back to the way things were. And now that we're back to where it was before, before, the, before the intervention. And now we have rampant childhood poverty in the richest country in the world. You know, and the other things you learn, if you study and do all the reading and, and you can understand the models that you're being taught, is you learn that we have all the answers to, to create a world in which we can all live a fulfilling, thriving life. We can do that. Now, you can't do it tomorrow, but we could change the way we do things so that we can have that world. We, we live in a post-scarcity world. We don't have a scarcity problem. Yeah, we have a pollution problem because we, of the, how we, again, organize the way we do things and the way that we, th- we set things up. But we are not in the, 18th, the 19th century here. We're in the 21st century, and we have the technology and the tools to live great lives. No one has to go to bed hungry. It doesn't have to happen. So what's the problem, right? So, th- so this is, so here I am. So I quit my job at the city and the economic development because I realized I was just wasting my time, complete waste of time. But, but this is why I'm just doing the podcast because why aren't they thinking that way? Because we don't have the language. We don't have the vocabulary to talk about these things from the community standpoint, the, the self, what it means to be human, what it means to love, what it means to be sad, what it means to be creative. All those things. We don't talk about those things, right? Because these are more qualitative things rather than quantitative. And we live in this society that has now decided to value quantitative over qualitative. Again, this is a choice. So here we are, reviving virtue. This is not a conservative podcast. I have recorded my first episode. And I'm decided after recording my first episode, I'm not sure I'm going to go with my original plan, but I'm going to at least get through the book. So my original plan was to read a book and go chapter by chapter and discuss in detail the, the nuances that are being discussed in the book. One of the reasons I'm doing this is that through my own personal journey, when I'm reading a hard book like Sources of the Self, it's a hard book to read. I would go and search Google Podcasts and listen to every podcast that had this book tagged to see what other people were saying about it, to check to see if I'm interpreting it right, to see how I'm feeling because this is what we do in community, right? We, we, we see how we are reacting with each other because we're all interconnected here. 
So my original plan is to read a book and then go through chapter by chapter in detail. And my first book is going to be The Public and Its Problems by John Dewey. The reason, there's a couple reasons I'm choosing this book. Number one, I haven't read this book yet. And, I, and it's on the top of my list to read because it's cited in all these other books I've been reading. So I decided why not use this podcast as a way to read it and learn together while I'm reading it. The other reason I'm doing it is I've read about eight or nine John Dewey books in the last 12 months because I have, I'm, I'm really in, just enamored by his work and especially pragmatism, which is a philosophy we will discuss in this, in this book, in this uh, podcast. And so I recorded my first episode, which is the first chapter of The Public and Its Problems. And I went into detail. It's about 38, 40 minutes long. And I was just listening to it. And I, I'm not sure if it's all that engaging. Because, you know, right now, as I'm talking, I'm just I'm, I'm going off script. But I wrote a script and it's like 14 pages long, about 7000 words. And, you know, when you watch or if you when you listen to this first episode, I think it's going to come across as kind of like that kind of dry me reading a research report, essentially, that I wrote on this first chapter. But what you'll find in this first episode is that I kind of go hard on libertarians on the idea of libertarians. And I am going to go a little hard on conservatives, especially conservative judges and the conservative legal minds that are creating this whole idea of of the of reading the Constitution as it should has exist when it we should read it and what do they call it, originalism? It's this crazy idea that how people in the world in 1780s would perceive the written word of the Constitution then how they perceived it is how we should interpret it today in 2023. This is why I am against the classic learning test as was described on the podcast by Jeremy Wayne Tate, because he's saying we should take the words written by Aristotle and import them to 2023 and interpret them the way he had interpreted them 2,300 years ago, roughly, give or take over 2,000 years ago. Let me be careful. I don't know the exact number of years, but I know it's more than 2,000 years. That's, that's crazy. That's absolutely insane. And it's against the entire project of the human experience. It doesn't make any sense. How you just, you know, we talk about how Western culture just erases the global culture as we, you know, as, as colonialism just tore across the world. Well, this is even worse. This type of mentality is complete, you know, you know, authoritarian, of course, right? But it just, it completely denies everyone's unique lived experience and says, no, the, the lived experience of an individual from over 2,000 years ago should dictate how we feel today, how we should re- relate to each other today. That's, I, I'm sorry, it's insane. And you get back to the, these, these conservative legal scholars who were talking about we need to interpret the, con- the U.S. Constitution as a person on the street would interpret it in the 18th century. So, again, this erases all the history of our country up to today. It doesn't matter, right? Because we're just going to take the lived experience of an, an individual and most likely a white male landowning individual of the 18th century and import that viewpoint into our viewpoint and, and let that dictate how we relate to each other and how we organize the way our laws and our and how we and everything we do. Crazy. It's not even crazy. To me, that's inhumane. <laughs> It's against the entire human project. So you can tell this is why I get passionate about this. However, now I've, I've just said that, you know, I think that's crazy. 
what I found though on on that I when I did some background research before I decided to make this podcast is that the only people talking about virtues and ethics and stuff like this are either uh, re- very lo- religious people, nothing wrong with them. In fact, it's great, spiritual and all that stuff, or conservatives. And then I went and listened to some of their stuff, and it's it's incredibly disturbing to me. And so I want to come from the left. We need a left articulation of the virtues, morals, and ethics that we need to re-articulate or to articulate a new vocabulary, a new moral background that we can work off of for when we're dealing with each other. So John Dewey, The Public and Its Problems. I'm going to read every chapter. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to review every chapter on the podcast and I'm giving my interpretations of it. But I'm already realizing after I recorded the first one, it's a little too dry. And what I want to do most likely is more of what I'm doing here right now. So episode two and three, I believe how many chapters are here? If you can see how prepared I am for this. There's six chapters. So for for this for the for two through six, I will most likely be doing more of this type of style and less reading uh, a script and essentially a research paper. And I'm going to start looking for people to bring on an interview. If you're listening to this, if this is what I have said has resonated with you, if you're still listening at this point, in the show notes, wherever you get your stuff, I'm going to, you know, figure out I'm using, you know, podcasting distribution platform. I'm sure it will show up. You'll see my contact info. I made a I made a new email for this podcast. I want to have a, a sub stack. So where I'll post all the transcripts. And then I'm also have a, a you know, Patreon because that seems to be what all these independent podcasters do. So reach out to me if this is something that you would want to, you know, talk to me about beyond the beyond this podcast. I'm even open to finding a partner to help do this podcast with some, someone else, who, maybe someone who's an, already an expert in morals and ethics. I believe an asset to this podcast is that I'm not an expert yet because I've found that I've gone on the podcast and some YouTube clips. And when, you, when you're listening to the experts, they, they can lose you. And they, they, when you go through the academic funnel for philosophy and ethics and morals and theology as well, you, you, you know, it's like a canon. You, you all read the same stuff. You all write the same stuff and you all use the same vocabulary. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, Richard Rorty, that was, you know, that's one of his main projects. You know, he's passed away. But one of his main points was that philosophy doesn't really have any point in modern society because it's no longer done for the community. It's done for this insular academic world. And I don't come from that. So maybe there is an academic listening who say, who thinks they could add something to this and we could it could be the good cop bad cop dynamic but so in any event i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stop this here this is what reviving virtue is so thank you for being with me and getting to the end of this introductory podcast episode coming up my my hope is to do every tuesday i'm trying to commit myself to a schedule as you all know we'll see how that goes i'm going to try to complete the public and its problems and then i'm gonna try to find some some more guests so, or not even more guests, just some guests that I can bring on and we can talk about these things. So it's less stale. So, all right, well, thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Have a great day.